By the way, do you guys know where our church you know, belongs to the, as denominational-wise? Christian Reformed Church in North America, right? He's our denomin- denominational leader and he's a good friend of mine. And he served uh, for KM last couple of days. And we really enjoyed it. Everyone really get blessed and all that. And, and since he's in town, I, we welcome him. Some of you guys know him. Charles, right? Pastor Charles joined. Charles Kim. Not Charles, Charles Kim. Let's welcome him. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. I bring greetings from about 1,100 Christian Reformed churches. Some of you don't know what that is, but it's called CRC. But yeah, so good to be here back. I knew some of you when you were like teenagers, but now you're all grown up. Um, some of you are getting older too. I'm getting old. Uh, last time I was, I don't think I had that many white hairs, but now I have full of white hairs. But really good to be back. And I, I, I hear news from Pastor Ken how well this EM is doing. Um, you know, just started with very few, but now growing. Praise God. And some of you have graduated, come back to, you know, church and serving. It's really good to to hear that. And also, it's new place. Um, so I think there's a lot of excitement behind that too. Well, this, morning, this afternoon, just like to share with you on the topic of strengthening yourself or ourselves in the Lord. Oh, I need that. I'm getting older and I, I need more energy, actually. <laughs> uh, I know the energy drinks are bad, but sometimes I need it just to finish the day. Uh, but how can we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Let me paint the picture of the background before we actually read the passage. Uh, I mean, if you can, I don't know, use your imagination. I, you know, it's like the scenery of like a brave heart. But let me give you the background of what was happening in Second Samuel. It's a picture of a bloody battlefield where there's thousands and thousands of people have died. And people who survived are really tired and Israel has just lost a major battle at the Mount of Gilboa. King Saul, who was the king at that time, had lost all of his three sons, including the beloved Jonathan. And Jonathan was killed by the hands of the evil Philistines. Seeing this defeat, Saul was just filled with despair, and he killed himself. He fell upon his own sword. And when David heard of this, his lamenting, mourning, because he sat, he's lost his own best friend and heard about this king who had also killed himself. So the passage that we're about to read is a picture of that. Put it into a form of a poem because David wants this to be remembered to many generations. So Let's listen to the scripture. I'm going to use this thing called Word of Promise, which is an app. It's a New King James Version, but the voice behind this passage, some of, you know, it's like audio Bible, much better than my voice. So let's uh, listen and then let's read the passage and use our imagination to see what was happening. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. There were two men in one city one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing oh, except one Samuel little chapter one. which the rich Wrong man one. had exceedingly many. Sorry. Ma- 
And when her mourning was over, David sent. Chapter one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, chapter one. Actually, I think it's the internet that's really slow. There we go. Now, it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? I have escaped from the camp of Israel. How did the matter go? Please tell me. The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are, are dead also. How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And, and, and I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher, The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. 
How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle! Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. All right. Um... <laughs> You kind of, I hope you got the story behind, but I think the punchline is probably at the end. I don't know if this thing is working, but uh, a punchline is verse 27, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. The, I mean, the background is this. David is lamenting he have lost his best friend along with the King Saul, the first king of Israel, and they're weeping, and he wants his people, Israelites, to remember what had happened. The poem gives us an important lesson. Something about who Paul, I mean, who Saul was and the life that they will, David will try to live. Saul was the king. We're going to know a little bit about his background, but how his life, which was filled with weapons, have perished and how mighty have fallen. It's a lesson on leadership. How do we live our lives daily when, once again, when things change, when we are in need of more strength to go on? Um, let me give you a background of who Saul was quickly. Um, Saul, apparently scripture uses very interesting words to describe who, who he was. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. I mean, his, uh, his son Saul was, I mean, I can't believe the Bible has description of this person like this. Most handsome men in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. I mean, can't you picture that this guy in that era was the, one of the tallest, not only tallest, but he was also good looking. Uh, I mean, you know, usually scriptures don't describe things like this, but it's, it's got to be, I mean, he's got to be really good looking and he's got to be really tall. Um, I mean, I don't know who would that be in this room, um, who would be the tallest. Pastor Ken? <laughs> Most handsome? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but I mean, this, this guy uh, was so popular, and he was so famous too because of that. And there was, he was the people's choice. 
not the one that God had appointed, but people chose him because he was good-looking, famous, popular. I don't know who that would be in this era, who would be tall and good-looking. I don't know, Dwayne Johnson? He's like 6'5", buff, powerful. I could see him as like the king, right? Except he doesn't have hair like that. Um, Or I don't know, Hugh Jackman, another buff guy, tall, good-looking, handsome. Or even the recently, the Aquaman. I could see him like long hair, the the king. I mean, mean, this guy was powerful, prosperous. And he reigned. And scripture describes, you know, 1 Samuel chapter 13, he was chosen as a king at the age of 30. Any one of you like 30 years old here? Some of you might be in that. Imagine he was about 30 and he reigned for 42 years. Wow. So he enjoyed that ride, right? The king. As, as he, he was chosen, and he, he reigned for 42 years. But this was the end of his life. His life ended in despair and suicide even. The contrast to who Saul was, the next king to be, is this King David. And we think King David as a great man of God. Oh, what was he like? But the background the scripture describes of David is there's not much about him. He simply was a shepherd boy. He was the eighth son of an ordinary farmer and another shepherd. I mean, in fact, he he was given to run errands because his brothers were fighting in the battle. David, his father orders, take some you know, bags of lunches and deliver to your brother. So he basically, before fighting for Goliath, he was an Aram boy running errands for his father because the youngest guy in back then, you know, in that, you know, patriarchal family, they were, you know, sense kind of nobody, right? So, but scripture, interestingly, doesn't have much information about David's background. Very ordinary, very average guy compared to King Saul was. And I wonder who will be the, the David of today? Who will be the average, like a shepherd boy? Well, I think maybe many of us fit into that category. We're not think that special. But the scripture, once again, using this poem, and before first Samuel, I mean, Second Samuel chapter 1, and as we read through the rest of the Second Samuel, it's interesting, the very clear contrast of what Saul relied on, and what David clinged on. And I would like to say that the two differences is a story between the weapons and the promise. Saul, throughout the scripture, especially 2 Samuel, there's many, verse, many stories of how he defended his prosperity, his nation, and when he was in trouble, he defended through what's called Weapons. Now, King Saul had a lot of weapons. We even see that in the story of David and Goliath. When David was about to volunteer to go fight that giant, the other soldiers, they gave him King Saul's armor. Bunch of them. And David tried it on, but it doesn't fit him. He said, I'll forget this. All I need is the slingshot. So, I mean, they tried to 
give him, clothe him with all these weapons, but David didn't need it. But King Saul defended story of, it's a story of how he defended his life, his assets, his life with, once again, what's called weapons. But David was different. David, chosen at the very young age, and he hears a simple promise by Prophet Samuel. Prophet Samuel is told by God, go tell this boy. And Samuel finds David, the youngest, the weakest, the ordinary shepherd boy, and he delivers the very promise of God saying, you are the one to lead a new kingdom. Now, David probably heard that when he was young, probably forgot, what? What are you talking about, old man? I'm just a shepherd boy. But the very promise that God had given through Samuel to David gets eventually fulfilled. So the two contrasts, the one who lived by and who tried to acquire more or defend his life through stacking up more weapons versus the one who lived through believing that promise. Now, talk about weapons. King Saul, who had weapons, I mean, today's weapons, what is that? I mean, we don't have like, you know, shields or swords and all that. What are the weapons of today? What does that mean to our lives, actually? And the question I like to ask is, similar to where Saul was, or similar to many of us living our lives, what do you use to gain what you want or what you desire? Those are the weapons, whatever that we use to gain what we want or what we desire. That's a weapon. Or what do you rely on when you feel somewhat threatened? How do you defend yourself? Think about that. What do you use to get what you want? What do you use to defend yourself? We'll have to give some thought, but I think I chose few. I don't know if you will agree with me. Well, some ways we rely on our intellect, how smart we are. That's a weapon, right? Or maybe a talent, or what family that we are born into, or even how much money you have in your bank account, or what kind of degrees that you have. How about even your ability to work really hard? You're diligent, you work really hard. Those are weapons, I would say. And I was thinking even further, wow, what would be the real weapons? I mean, that describes what intellect and, you know, all that. I think we all carry weapons. It's called this. This is, I mean, I got big ones, so this is like a weapon. I could smash someone or defend myself. But in this, guess what? We have a lot that we carry as our weapons to use to become successful or to be prosperous. I can check how much money I have in my bank account. You can check, right? You can check what kind of emails you have. Oh, it has contacts, who you know, and who you can call when you're in trouble. Oh, you can check how the stocks did last year, or this year, or last week, or how we will do next week. It shows you how indispensable you have become. This sometimes become the weapons of today. And we rely on it. 
Have you ever, ever, you know, lose your phone? I mean, there are moments I lost my phone for like a few hours. I was like helpless. Oh, shoot. What happened to my phone? You know, I think that was when I was in Korea. I left it in a taxi. I just got out and, oh, man, I felt so helpless because, in a sense, I have lost my weapons. You know, the story, the lesson behind chapter we just read is this. In God's kingdom, once again, for Saul, the weapons have perished, how mighty have fallen. But in God's kingdom, it clearly shows us there's no need for weapons. In his kingdom, he doesn't use swords. Instead, he used other things, things like righteousness, peace, and hope. In his kingdom, The one who has stacked up most weapons or even wealth, prosperity, intellect, God somehow doesn't use those. Isn't it funny how the very disciples that Jesus chose, they were like nobodies? I mean, if I had the choice to choose my 12 guys to change the world, oh, I don't know. I'll definitely not be the the ones picking guys like Peter who always got in trouble, you know, fishermen, very little education. But somehow in God's kingdom, especially how he uses his people, he doesn't use the weapons that we think of. In fact, Saul's downfall was his weapons. Saul could not conquer the world nor himself, actually, because the weapons he had was very ineffective. In fact, the weapons that he had drove him crazy. Yeah, yeah, he, was, he went crazy because of, he was so insecure. He became so crazy that it destroyed himself. He couldn't control his anger. He killed one of the prophets that tried to cover David. He tried to kill the the priest of Nob. And he also tried to turn to the witch of Endor to get more information. And he stopped believing in God because he trusted weapons. He got insecure. And in fact, later, he testifies that in this statement called, I have played the fool. And that was the very legacy of his life. And it's true that C.S. Lewis, a famous author, he, he, he quotes the pride or even what's called self-reliance because of the weapons we carry. It's a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense when we rely on our own pride, self-reliance, or even our own weapons that we carry. But, contrast to Saul, David was different. David had not weapons, but he had the promise. Well, in fact, he, he trusted the very promise giver. And what was that promise? Oh, he heard through the prophet Samuel when he was young. And each time he got into trouble, he remembered the promise. And he forgets it, and he got in trouble, and he remembered it again and again and again. And this story is also 
told in one of the passages, 1 Samuel chapter 30, right before that we read 2 Samuel chapter 1. This, this is an instant that happened to David's life and also description of what David did. That's very interesting. I'll just read and you could imagine what was happening. When David and his men realized Ziklag, they found it destroyed by the fire and their wives and sons and daughters were taken to captive. I mean, imagine that. And David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I mean, they were so sad. They were just mourning and lamenting. And David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam and Zezreel and Abiel, and the widow of Nabal of Camel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. And each one was so bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters were dead. I mean, imagine what was happening. So his own men, because they have lost their wives and sons, and even David, so angry, what did they try to do? They tried to stone David. I mean, these, this is, they are not their enemy, David's enemies. They are your own people, your own gang, your own crowd. They tried to pick up a stone and tried to kill David. I imagine that. Have you ever had a, you know, experience where someone that is very close to you, someone who you thought will back you up, will turn against you, pick up a stone and ah, stab you in the back? Well, Sometimes those things happen. But when that trouble happened in David, it's very interesting what, is, what Scripture says what David did. But, but, his own men were raging against him. But, what? David found strength in the Lord his God. Oh, that's one of the beautiful parts of the passage. Instead of David say, what? I'm going to fight you. Come on. It wasn't my fault. You know, try to defend. No, he didn't do that. What he did was he found what? Strength in the Lord. Now, I, I, you know, I wish the scripture was a bit more descriptive. Well, what does it mean that David found his strength in the Lord? What does that mean? Well, that's the whole book of Psalm. When he got in trouble, he went alone. And he cried and cried to God. That's how he found strength. The whole Psalm, 150 of them, is an example of how when he got in trouble, when he even sinned, we even read the passage, right, earlier, Psalm 51. When he got in trouble because even his own mistake, all typical people, oh my goodness, the whole world will find out I just com committed adultery. Oh, whole world will, will find out that I, I have killed someone. Husband of the one that I just had an affair with. Oh, you get so disappointed yourself and what do you do? Oh, you do. Some people make some drastic Choices to end it, end it all. But David, when he got in trouble, he knelt down and he prayed God, prayed to God. And that's how he what? Found strength in the Lord. I think the whole book of Psalm is a great example how we can cry out to the Lord when you're in trouble or rejoice when things are good. But when we don't have words to pray for, what? This is a very example how we can find strength in God. 
Because through that, remembering, crying out and crying out, what? What David did was what? He remembered the very promise of God. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So instead of piling up more weapons, what David did was to find God's promise and to believe it and to cling on to that. You know why this is important? Because we are here because of the very promise of God. Amen? I mean, these days, why why would you come to church? You could just stay at home and just rest or even just maybe listen to TV sermons or something. Well, I think because God has brought you and to give you, to remind you the very promise. The promise of God is very central to God's dream and what He is doing around the world, right? I mean, that's what the scripture is, right? Old Testament, New Testament. You know what that means? In, in Korean, it's called Kuyak and Shinyak. Kuyak means old promise. It's old testament of what God said He will do. New Testament is not only through Jesus Christ, but the new things that He will do. It's a very promise of God. So through the scripture, we see, wow, God wasn't kidding. He made all these statements and all these promises and He will keep it. And the church is a place, oh yeah, we come to remember the very promise of God. We're not here to give you some strategies, how to do better in your life. We're not here to give you any plans. No, we are here to once again claim the very promise of God so that we don't pick up weapons, but we trust the promise of God. Because with weapons that we have, we cannot fight the world. We cannot. Trust me, we cannot. But with God's promise, oh yes, we can overcome. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need your strategy. God doesn't need your ideas. God doesn't need our wisdom, our connections, our weapons. God wants us to believe and trust. Because God uses different things to establish this kingdom. The good news is about 2,000 years ago, a guy named Herod was so insecure that he ordered all the babies in the land to be slaughtered with weapons because he knew he heard of this new leader. So he got so insecure, he used weapons. Later, Pharisees and Sadducees and those religious leaders, because he was in, they were insecure, they rejected Jesus. In fact, they used very weapons to destroy him. They whipped him, beat him, pierced him, nailed him. And those weapons killed Jesus, but could not stop him of making his promises. Jesus hung on the cross. The very Messiah who came because he said, I love you. I will not leave you. 
You need me. Through your hard work, you won't be able to do it. Through your own effort, you won't be able to do it. So he went to the cross, kept his promise, taking all of our sins, and he resurrected. And he promised us, although he was leaving, I promise you, on your Holy Spirit as your counselor. And when you feel tired, when you feel like giving up, oh, he will counsel you. Amen? He will be with you. So this morning, this afternoon, I'm here to, wow, share with you. We have a very promise of God. God loves you. And God wants you to trust him and to follow him and to obey him. And that's how we can overcome this world. Let's pray. Lord, um, we confess sometimes we are like Saul. Sometimes we think we are all okay, but later we find out we feel so insecure. And we have stacked up so much to defend ourselves. And sometimes things happen and we get lost. We don't know what to do. Lord, but instead of what Saul did, get disappointed or even depressed, Lord, remember what David did, that he found strength in you. And Lord, this afternoon we once again want to look to you and how good you are. The very amazing grace that you have shown on the cross. So instead of weapons that you use the grace to save us, to love us. And Lord, this week as we live our lives, may we also do the same. As we remember your promise, may we be the grace giver to others. Oh yeah, that at work, somebody will frustrate us at homes, our kids, our spouse will also drive us crazy, but during those times, Lord, may we remember to use not weapons, but to grace because you have used it to overcome. Help us to also look to that promise and to become a grace giver. In Christ, let me pray all these things. Amen.